Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the e-commerce insights podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today, I have with me Chase Clymer. He's the co-founder of Electric Eye. Him and his team create Shopify-powered sales machines from strategic design, development, and marketing decisions, which we're going to dig into today. He's also the host of his own podcast, Honest E-Commerce, where they provide store owners with honest, actionable advice to increase their sales and grow their business. So Chase, that's a great bio and all, but you know, you have a more interesting backstory around what you first started to do. We all have those. What was what was your original goal in life? Well, once upon a time, I was in a punk rock band and that did not pay the bills. Uh, <laughs> so to pay the bills, I uh, I cut my teeth with digital marketing. I was doing... Uh, my first love was photography, which it still is. And I started doing uh, layout designs for magazines. And that kind of evolved into web design, which kind of uh, then got me curious about marketing and advertising and then kind of the overarching strategy behind all that. So the whole time I was touring the country, I was kind of honing my skills in kind of digital. And once I just you know realized that we you know our rock star dreams were fading, I kind of just naturally transitioned into being a professional freelancer for lack of a better term there. So it was really fun. So your band was good enough to be touring. Yeah. That's progress. You know, you're not just at the local coffee house. <laughs> I know. We were at the coffee houses in every other city. <laughs> well, at least, at least you got out of your own city to, to play. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw the country uh, uh, multiple times. I saw things that I, I would have never, ever have seen in my life. I mean, I, I grew up, uh, you know, we didn't have much money. I would have never been to any of these places. Uh, so it was a really cool experience. And it, it definitely taught me... It taught me to hustle, taught me the DIY ethos. And that's probably what gave me the... I don't know if you call it uh, courage or uh, just pigheadedness to start a business. This is my third. Just once you get the freedom, but also the responsibility, you're either going to thrive or you know die when you're, when you're faced with all the decisions you got to make and the buck stocks with you. You know, Some people can handle that and some it's like they go running back to corporate. Nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, with, as, as far as the decision making goes, once you realize that your decision kind of doesn't matter because if you make a mistake, you just correct the course afterwards. It kind of just is like, all right, it's another day. It's another challenge. Let's keep learning and keep improving. Exactly. You have to forgive my background here. We just moved the Wicked headquarters two weeks ago. It's a nice upgrade, but the office is in shambles here. <laughs> Tell me specifically about your... You've got an agency. What's like your focus? What's your wheelhouse customer? And what it, what does you guys bring to the table that's somewhat unique? Yeah. So we are basically... Direct-to-consumer brands are our bread and butter. Uh, we work with brands when they kind of enter that that scaling phase of the business. So they figured out product market fit. They're not really a startup anymore. They've got some data that we can play with. They've got customers. They've got kind of operations working, but they're still. It's still probably a smaller operation. You know, three to seven people max. You know, if you want to talk about numbers, you know, they they've got some cool KPIs where they're doing maybe a million, give or take. You know, uh, whatnot a year. And what they're usually lacking is there's probably one thing that they did really really well as far as digital goes. Maybe it was influencer marketing, or maybe it was email. They were awesome at email. Or some other sort of growth channel that they were pretty good at, but they kind of just lacked everywhere else just because they didn't have 
those subject matter experts on the team. And so usually what happens when we come in, we partner up with them and we kind of take whatever we plug in and take out, take whatever nerdy things that they don't want to be doing off their plate so they can focus on things that we they should absolutely focus on. They should focus on brand, they should focus on product, and they should focus on customers. And you let me and my team focus on the technology and like Shopify specifically, we are insanely good at that technology. We build insanely fast websites and marketing and advertising and like e-commerce funnels strictly for kind of consumer products is is all in our wheelhouse. And uh, by the time that this comes out, we'll probably be launching the beta of our CRO program, which I'm very excited to be bringing to the table. Ooh. So I before I started Wicked Reports, I was CRO freelancer. I worked under, um, you probably know him, Pep Laja, CXL. Mm-hmm. He called it something different. I think it was Conversion XL. He had the whole, you know, I was his uh, first case study in his first cohort of students. That's a, you know what's really dude. funny is uh, we have a subscription to that. And before before we, we pressed record on this podcast, we were talking about uh, positioning on websites. And my business partner is uh, rewriting our website under uh, some frameworks that are on from the CXL classes. Oh, nice. It, uh, you know, he had that one, you know, he was hit the perfect blog nerve at the perfect time with this, your website's leaking money. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's true across the board. If B2B service, SaaS, e-commerce, your website has probably got some, some holes in its bucket that you can definitely patch and fix. So what are some, so I'm a Shopify store owner. I'm like, okay, I know something's up. How do you like assess the website? determine, I mean, speed must be a big one, but where do you generally find people have made, you know, have overlooked things that can provide some nice improvement in their conversions? Yeah. So we've worked with this kind of type of client a dozen times now over the past couple of years. And it's pretty obvious when we get talking that their passion is solving the problem for their client. And technical expertise has had kind of taken a back burner, like taking a back seat. And so, kind of through these initial discussions, like we get access to the website. I'm looking at their KPIs. I'm digging in a little bit to the analytics. Some really, really obvious things that I see all the time are too many apps. <laughs> there are just way too many apps installed on this website, or they will tell me that they have tried a bunch of apps. And so, uh, it just is now a tangent on apps, which is basically. Every time you install an app on a Shopify store, it injects a bunch of code into your theme. Oftentimes, another JavaScript call or, or some other kind of call out to the, a different website to bring in whatever it needs to do to operate that app. So anyways, it's injecting all this stuff into your website. Most people think, and I'm here to correct this thought, is when you press uninstall, it deletes all of that stuff. It doesn't. The second you press uninstall, that app no longer has access to your store. But all that extra code in your theme and all those extra calls are still there. So let's backpedal a little bit. Now you're oh, talking man. to a brand. I, I would have thought, yeah, uninstall. Oh no, it's I'm still a tech there, man. Guy. I should have. Yeah, it's always so, you always got to verify what you think is true. <laughs> yeah, so that's like one of the first things that I start to talk oh, to them about. Man. I'm like, all right, so they're probably using some some premium theme from the marketplace that's been modified to fit the needs of their brand, and it's got all of this code injected into it all over the place. So the code base is kind of spaghetti. And there's all sorts of weird stuff going on there. And it, it, it oftentimes is just slow. And there's a there's a trade-off between fixing what they have or building something tailored for them. And that's a conversation we're having a lot. And what we're talking about here is 
taking like a Honda Civic and, and throwing some upgrades on it and getting in a street race or going to someone that knows what they're doing and building a race car from the ground up. Like these are two different projects and they're going to have two different results in a race. And we're, we're going to be building one that's going to win. Uh, so that's oftentimes a lot of the projects that we're doing. Back to your question though, some of the other things that we're looking for when I get in there, there's always a discrepancy between uh, desktop and mobile performance, especially with conversion rates. Uh, just because most websites are responsive, most of them aren't optimized for mobile. So mm-hmm. that's that's stuff that we always keep in mind. A lot of people are just, you know, they built their website or their friend built their website, or you know, they they got a decent deal back when they got started. And it's built by someone and and built, especially architects, like the, the way that the website flows in the customer journey is built in a way that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And not from an e-commerce perspective or from a customer journey optimization like flow. So those are those those are a lot of call-outs that we always have. And the way that products are handled, the way that you handle variants, the way that you handle your navigation, those are all things that are really gonna impact conversion rate in the customer journey. And then outside of that, you know, there's there's a lot of I hate the term low hanging fruit, but like sometimes it's just there's just some systems that you got to have in place, like email automation. Uh, if it makes sense for your brand, SMS, you know, even basic like remarketing strategies sometimes are in place. So there's a lot of cool stuff that we could do right at, right at the beginning. It's some really amazing wins, uh, and and then from there, the website is a living, breathing thing, and it's constant need of attention and improvement. And uh, we have been working with a lot of our clients for years, uh, and and really helping them grow and get some really cool results. The Black Keys is a cool client. You gotta love having that. How'd you how'd that come about? Funny enough, it's not my background in music. It is my business partner. He's known those guys for for quite some time. He went to school with the drummer's younger brother. So that's that's just the power of network right there. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. What are like the baseline, the KPIs initially, and then show pre and post? And which ones do you focus on when if assuming you do that? That is a great question, Scott. So (laughs) we love KPIs over here. So we have this framework that we've been doing, hilariously enough, almost since the beginning. It just didn't have this name and it wasn't as structured as it is now. It's this concept of the brand scaling framework. And a framework is basically just like, here is how it all works. And then fill in the blank with the more tactics that that are more structured to your exact brand, your customer, your product, and all that jazz. So basically, what we're doing at the beginning is we're going into their analytics and we're looking at their conversion rate, their average order value, and their sessions. And usually over the last 30 days, unless they have a really sporadic sales cycle, we'll like average it out over the last 12 months. We still want like a 30-day sample. So those numbers are really important. So the sessions, conversion rate, average order value. Because if you multiply them all together, you're going to basically get your sales for the month because that's how math works. And so now we've got a baseline, like you said earlier. So we've got something that we can make projections against, and we can we know where we started. So earlier, I was talking about some like uh, you know common issues that these these clients have, or you know it's not just our clients. These are this is common issues that anyone has once they kind of get through the startup phase, and now they're talking about optimization. Is your website's usually bad, and let's just say you have a two percent conversion rate on your website, and you invest in your website and making it faster, making it optim an optimized customer journey, making it super mobile friendly. Going from 2% to 3% isn't unheard of. 50% leak sounds like a lot. Going from 2 to 3 is not that hard. Going from 3 to 4, way harder. But it is possible. And it really depends on your industry, your product, and all that stuff. Like It's really about you, not necessarily these generic numbers. But these are, these are things that work. But you put all this effort into your website. You make that better. And then you know something that's oftentimes overlooked by a lot of these brands is kind of the 
average order value as a KPI in general. It is that is like a huge multiplier, especially on like return on ad spend and stuff like that. So we're usually working with our clients to come up with strategies for bundling, for upsells, for cross sells, you know, just trying to get more into the cart. Because I mean, your customers love to buy, uh, but they don't like to be sold. And oftentimes a lot of the off-the-shelf solutions are very salesy and uh it's jarring and it takes you out of the out of the kind of uh the mindset of buying and you're like, whoa, they're trying to they're trying to get me. And that's not really what you want. If it's uh, an experience that feels natural and it like it should be there, you're like, of course I want to buy an extra t-shirt for just ten dollars more. You know, those types of experiences people really, really want. And then the last one, their sessions is is usually where people go first, which oftentimes is a recipe for disaster because you might be leaving a lot of money on the table, especially if you can make your conversion rate better or you can make your average order value first, then those multiples are a lot higher. So then when you invest in getting new traffic to your website, it's going to return at a higher rate and be a more lucrative investment. And some of them are a little bit easier on that that KPI like, you know, simple retargeting strategies or or email automation, and some are a little more difficult like uh prospecting, you know, profitably is is extremely difficult to do, especially nowadays with uh all the fun stuff that's come out with iOS 14 and 15. There's a lot of faith going on right now and I'm really excited and curious to see what the future brings uh, as far as all that goes with attribution and and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's been fantastic for us. Yeah. Um, iOS cuz that means that the measurement you need a measurement solution that can handle it rather mm-hmm. than just relying on Facebook. So, it's been a real boon. I love it. I love iOS. <laughs> well, so one thing now, what, so with the raising of the AOV, like I did this one really low tech example that I have from 10 years ago. Well, maybe at the time it wasn't low tech, but guy was selling lobsters online and how we got the cart value up is we'd email and the, and people would buy a ship date future out. Like it'd be a couple of days later or a week later, they say, hey, I won't ship the lobsters this day. Mm-hmm. So then we immediately send an email or, or well, the, a day before they were getting packed. Hey, we're packing the lobsters up. Would you like me to throw in some clam chowder for 15 bucks or 10 bucks or 20? We'd experiment with the price mm-hmm. points. And the take rate was like 15, 17%. So you had an extra, and you know, he's making 50% on that order. It wasn't a lot, but you get 100 orders a day, make an extra five bucks, 500 bucks a day, a month, an extra 15 grand. You know, it's extra 180,000 in a year. Oh, yeah. Just having an automated email. Hey, would you like me to send chowder? I'm at the dock. You know, picture him at the dock. You know, you know, he wasn't actually at the dock, pouring in lobster or mm-hmm. some crap. <laughs> and then it would trigger and it would just add to the cart order ID, you know, whatever, all that stuff. But what, um, I mean, I imagine things have come further now. What, like, how do you, that was interesting, how you don't make it like you're trying to sell them, but how do you, how do you do that? Do you have like an example of someone or like well, a- I mean with with upsells, cross sells and and bundles and stuff, those are basically the easiest solutions to to tackle this AOV problem. Um and it it it, it really is dependent on the client, but I'll talk about a few examples. So we have a client that is uh kind of gifts is for lack of a better terms. Think uh Spencer's like goofy stuff like that. Oh, I like, like love heart in a box, stuff like that. <laughs> We built out an upsell for them, which was kind of creative. It, it, and it's just a, it, it's in the cart. And it's like, do you want this to be gift wrapped for $5? And it's the number one best selling item in the store. And it is cost them almost nothing in materials, just a little bit of manpower. 
What's the URL? Because I want it because of that. Because I always, when you want to buy gifts, like I, I can't wrap. I don't want to wrap. I don't want to come into my house. So I got to wrap it. I want it to be like, if I got to get a gift for someone, I'd rather it came gift wrapped to my house than I could just hand it to them. Like, oh, absolutely. I'll, of course, when you it. ask me, I'm drawing a blank. So I'm, I'm pulling it up really fast. Okay. Well, get it to me later. That's fine. But that's a great idea too. I mean, it solves a big pain point for Oh yeah, lazy so, middle-aged dudes that don't. Oh, know how to run. I bought stuff from there for Christmas for my family, and our project manager did as well. Uh, it's definitely a fun place to to shop. Um, I hunted that, around looking in the mall for the wrap station. They didn't have it because of COVID. They said, and I was like very upset about that. It's like I'm ready absolutely. to pay five bucks a, a, an object here. I, I don't want to wrap this. So the brand is called Off the Wagon, and they're it's just off the wagon Right. And they're uh, based in actually Athens, Ohio, where OU is. How do you figure out what uh, what product to throw in there? Is it is it is it all like a a parent? Each product has. Do you go in and configure? This is the most likely, or is it always just kind of the same couple most popular that aren't in the cart? Or how do they? Well, for that one, it's just everything gets the option for an upsell for that one in particular because it's like a gift based business. But like for other customers, it's usually like a thought exercise. It's like imagine you're in a store and someone's buying. Your products from you, and like they're you're checking out with you, you're just having a conversation. Like, what would you recommend to them as an upsell? And then you just build out some smart logic wherever you kind of want to have that upsell presented. So, some like, for example, like there's all sorts of different offers, like buy one, get one free, or buy one 50% off, or free gift with purchase, or discount on a certain thing. Like, there's a million types of offers, but they aren't all the same. Like you, no one's gonna bogo. Like no one wants to buy a couch, get a couch free. They probably don't have room for two couches. Well, I just moved. I actually bought two, and I would have, <laughs> I would have murdered someone to get a bogo. Those couches are expensive. Yeah, <laughs> but that was a very unique scenario that just happened to blow up your example. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, I should have said buy one get one fifty percent off. But like, what what it would have been is like you probably would buy a couch and get a coffee table for 50% off that makes a lot more sense to me so on high like high priced products luxury products it's more about kind of just like raising it just a little bit whereas like lower priced products commodity based or kind of lower aov stores you can get away with like asking for a little bit more so like a good example there is like you buy one t-shirt and you're like you know what you want to buy three t-shirts and save 33% and then I'm like maybe actually so the deals are really really dependent on the product and kind of their customers and like what they can get away with at their price points. Um, but that's, that's the fun part. That's the strategic thinking and, and, and uh, getting in the weeds there and figuring that out is always fun. You have a lot of Shopify e-com brands here. What's been the hardest thing about these? What's been the hardest pain of e-commerce that you see people struggle with? The hardest thing about e-commerce is almost similar to the hardest thing about most businesses, which is finding product market fit. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and founders try to offload that to an agency or a consultant or a contractor when that's a recipe for disaster. And no one's ever going to find product market fit for you. That's something a founder really needs to take on and own. And it's it's probably the hardest part of starting a business, e-commerce or or an agency or uh, you know a. a anything else. It, that's the hardest part in general. Once you do figure that out, marketing is usually something that a lot of people are having issues with, especially if acquiring customers profitably is like the golden goose of any growth plan. I'd say that those that same challenge hierarchy happens in SaaS. You got to get the product market fit to get your first million ARR. 
then it's a marketing message thing and a focus on a market to get to two. And then, then it's a scaling thing. Once you get about 2 million AR and it's organizations and systems and all that, all that mm-hmm. has. when you, when an e-commerce store comes to you and they need like a funnel built, what's like your process for breaking that down? What, what you're going to put in there, what you're going to copyright or images or how do you, what's like the, the process I would say. Well, the first is a lot of discovery. We like what's working now. What have you tried historically? How did that turn out? Like we're having a lot of conversations with the customer, uh, with our client, and then we're also going to look at their customers. Like where are your customers hanging out? Like if you're a motorcycle merch store, like I don't think Pinterest is going to perform for you. But if you're selling, you know, boho jewelry probably going to be a great place to to get some eyes and get some traffic from. So you got to really uh, sit back and think about the customer and where they're going to be hanging out. And we approach it in a way that a lot of people are actually kind of getting back to, especially with like all the reporting going crazy now, is a very simple three-step funnel. You know, Top of the funnel, uh, get, getting uh, some prospecting out there and finding ways to get eyes to the site. Uh, goal is not necessarily sales, but they're great if it can happen up there. That's more awareness. Get some emails. Get, get some retargeting going on. Maybe get their their uh, phone number for some text text message uh, kind of marketing. Um, really, an, an awareness play there at the top of the, the funnel. And we're usually dedicating the majority of the budget, sixty percent at times, to prospecting. Is that for like an opt in capture of some kind? Then on the on it's the all over the funnel. place. We've seen a lot of success with like like free gifts uh, when you sign up or a discount on first purchase. Like it's it. Again, it, it's something you got to test, and something that really depends on the type of clients. You know, some brands don't do discounting, so uh, instead of like ten percent off your first purchase, maybe it's like a free shipping code that still isn't a discount. You're not lowering the brand; uh, you're just taking away a little bit of your margin and eating shipping. So there's a few ways to play with it, but yeah, the, the main goal there is like take a web browser, and hopefully your targeting is is spot on with whatever Facebook, Google, Instagram, whatever you're using. Uh, you got some good targeting there, and and basically trying to get that that new browser uh, to to share a bit of data with you. you know, if you can get their email address, you're probably going to win because just email is an amazing revenue channel. Uh, even though you can't count on opens anymore, you can still kind of see sales, especially if you've got a really powerful automation tool like Clavio looped into your store. Email is really going to work for you at the middle of the funnel. A lot of email, SMS, uh, a lot of retargeting and building those out the right way. And then at the bottom of the funnel is basically just doubling down on those same strategies, but more succinct message, like really tied to where they're at in their customer journey. The econ brands that are doing uh, SMS are, I mean, that's like, I feel like a must channel. Yeah. And it's, that's actually oftentimes, we're having these conversations with with brands and they have an aversion to trying some of these channels like email or or SMS. Uh, I don't get that. Why? I'm yeah, like <laughs> is like your money? goal to grow your business <laughs> or your goal to kneecap your own growth? Like yeah. I mean, cuz email like the guy whose data I can share, he did 20 million on his store, seven last t- touch was email. And they came from other and then a little over a million was SMS. And so it's like you gotta just sell to where people feel like buying, not where you feel like marketing. Yeah, just because <laughs> you personally don't like getting text messages doesn't mean your customer or some a subset of your customer 
does not enjoy it. Like, the, don't use your assumptions to make decisions for your brand's marketing. Use data from your brand. Exactly. So iOS fourteen point six. Does that how's that throwing people for a loop here? Oh man, it's we're having. Well, we have custom reporting built out for all of our clients, which you know the, now it's the numbers are, are interesting. We're looking at different KPIs now, and you know the, the the honest truth is you just have to have faith. It worked before the reporting was screwed up, and it still works now. It just the reporting isn't as well. Um, so that's one thing is. You know, anyone that just turned off their spends is probably experiencing like disastrous results just because they can't see it in a as clear way these days. All of our brands that we're working with, we all had conversations with them and they all kind of are keeping the ship moving forward, same spends or if not more into those channels. It's been interesting. Uh, and it's that's it's just the evolution of advertising. There's always new new stuff that comes out and then there's always weird stuff that happens. You can never just rest on your laurels. <laughs> yeah. You've always got to be growing, which makes it great for the right people. We get the right mindset. It's great, you know, if you're into that. If you just want to be done, it's it's terrible because you're never done. It's always that you get done and then like some new thing happens that disrupts the market. I mean, p- people weren't doing a lot of SMS now attentive or postscript, you know, everyone's on one of those two apps pretty much. And then um you know, Facebook Messenger was all the rave. Now you don't mm-hmm. hear much about it. It's hanging in there, but it's not like super popular. It's always something new. I mean, YouTube has been, looks like from my vantage point, getting us is uh, kind of poaching some of the spend from Facebook now, at least top of the funnel. People yeah. Have and there. Snapchat Twitter. is doing some cool things. TikTok has, has been really wild, but it's not just Facebook and Instagram that's like, seeing the result of this iOS thing. It's every single digital spending, like any any paid media platform, like it's all the same thing across the board. It's just, you know, a heavy majority of spends on the internet like in DTC are on Facebook and Instagram. So that's why people are like tying it directly to that channel. You got some systems built from building this agency out. What's like the the go-to system that you you mentioned something about the brand scaling framework. Are there any other ones, or is that the main one that you know gets well, everything going? Or that's like the the system that we use for helping our clients. I mean, we build out like a system for building custom themes. Right now, I think we're going to call we're we're calling it the I think we're settling on the Lightning Framework is what we settled on. We like to brand things over at Electric. Oh Eye. yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we basically built a system to build custom themes for our clients faster than anyone else on the market without like. You know, ruining timelines or budgets or performance. It, it's it's a really cool approach. We've got all the design systems built out in Figma, and then we've got the matching you know development layer built out in GitHub, so we can kind of iterate upon things pretty quickly and and get a product to market faster for our clients. That's a good idea. I used to when I was in databases, I would do that. I have all my library of scripts, which were basically to solve specific problems that came up, no matter who the client was. It was, it was always like the same kind of patterns. Yeah, you had to do some work. That the, the what they were paying me for was recognizing the pattern and solving it, not writing every single letter from scratch, exactly. <laughs> every keystroke. You know, so that's a smart approach that'll help you scale. So what it, what's next for you in the agency? We're heading into you know Q4 here. What, what any big goals or what? Uh, what you uh, got, Q4 what is a lovely time in e-commerce. Uh, we're just going to be heads down working on client stuff. Um, 
We kind of have an upsell for a lot of our clients for Q4, which is a lot more marketing help and a lot more strategy help. Kind of call it our holiday success package. So we're we're helping a handful of our clients with a lot of their holiday stuff uh, and being a lot more hands-on and kind of in the mix with helping build out the, the sales calendars and what those offers look like. And just making sure that they have the support that they need to, get, to really have a successful holiday. Because some of these clients, like I know one one particular client of ours, they do over fifty percent of their business between Black Friday uh, and uh, Christmas. That's just kind of the industry that they're in. So they're like, yeah, we need all hands on deck. Like, perfect. Like, let's let's work together. Also, um, there are a lot of brands that need help just like polishing things up before the holiday. So we're you know we're starting some new accounts and, and getting some things going. So I'm super excited about that. It's just a whirlwind Q4. It goes by so fast. It does. One e-com thing that, you know, I, I see a fair amount of Shopify store data sets and everyone it's, yeah, from Black Friday through Christmas, post-Christmas sales is many brands. It's like makes or break their year. Usually like they do six months worth of rev in like that five, six week period. Oh yeah. The Cooper, the gift cards too. Gift cards, huge. That's a big one because you do the you do the gift cards because you made the money, but then also some people just don't redeem them. Like fifteen percent don't redeem them, so you just made hundred percent profit, no matter how much you alert them or remind them. I, it baffles me that it's that high. I mean, I guess I got a couple gift cards floating around that you know. Now I think about it, <laughs> still have been used. I guess you multiply that by all the people, all the brands doing that, and everyone's mm-hmm. got there. You know, so that's just a solid thing to do. This was a great combo. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. I know the uh, audience picked up some tips, and that's always the most important thing. So, if they want to learn more about your services, where can people track you down? If you're curious about learning more about the brand scaling framework or just having a chat with me to see if we're a good fit, uh, you can head over to electriceye.io, hit connect, and you'll schedule a call with me. I'll be the guy you speak with, and we'll see if we're a good fit or not. And uh, if you like my opinions on e commerce, you can hear me chat on my podcast, Honest Commerce, interviewing founders basically every week. Great. Thanks a lot, Chase. Take it easy. Thanks for having me.